Welcome back to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox, two rather insecure creative frauds who will be exploring the motivating and sometimes debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. Hi, my name is Michael Scarbeck. I run a creative consultancy agency in Australia, working with clients and agencies in all things advertising. And today's guest is another writer and creative director who's also written a book, uh, but on the other side of the globe, Dan Nelkin from Canada. I first came across Dan on LinkedIn, where I noticed he was writing a lot of insightful and handy tips for copywriters, which he then turned into his book and now an e-course. Now, even though I've been writing ads for 20 years, I don't think you should ever stop learning. So I signed up for his course and I've been really enjoying it. It's filled with great stuff. And for me, it takes things that perhaps you're already doing innately, but makes you more aware of them by turning them into techniques. It means you write faster and you spend less time digging around in the dirt and more time unearthing the gold. Dan also has a bit to say about feeling like an imposter, which is why I suggested to Noxie that he get Dan on the imposterous. So here he is, Canada's next Best export after Ryan Reynolds, Dan Nelkin. Yeah, it's so weird. I was at, I met a couple of friends at a bar recently, and they work at ad agencies in Toronto. And I mean, I know the book's selling. I, you know, I send the newsletter out to 6,000 people. I may be here from two people. So, you know, it's, it's kind of <laughs> growing, but this this they're like you know you're famous in toronto uh and i'm like what are you talking about they're like your books on every desk and i hear from you know good be yeah. in san francisco amsterdam 180 and i just yeah you know, it's, it's all uh pretty uh shocking <laughs> that's great Welcome to the Imposterous, the Imposterous Dan Nelkin. Dan, I am surprised that you're on here, but we're going to discover more about that. Newsletters, books, now online training. So obviously I'm here to talk you into imposter syndrome more than out of it. But I wanted to start with your LinkedIn bio that says your inner critic is a ding dong. Interested to know what your inner critic sounds like. Does he or she say the same things over and over or does the message change? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I even know what my inner critic uh, looks like. I About two years ago, I named him Alan. He's a, a six-year-old boy who uh, pisses his pants. And that's really kind of taken. <laughs> this terrified little boy. You know, it's funny because you hear the voice and it does say the same things. And so after 20 years, at a certain point, you stop and you're like, hang on, I must know something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Every brief, the voice is like, oh, this is the one. Everyone's going to find out, you know, you're an imposter. And uh, after a while of hearing that voice, you know, I just started to, so soon I started, as I'm doing this work, I just started to look into it and uh, I started to watch, watch him and listen to him and realized uh, w- what a joke he was. <laughs> <laughs> right. So has Alan, has Alan ever saved your bacon? Has Alan ever saved the day, ever stopped you doing something that was just foolish and was stupid, like he probably called out? 
I don't know. I'm sure he has. Um, I think, you know, their inner critic helps us as much as we'll let it and hurts us as much as we'll let it. I think if you suffer the inner critic, it can really take over. And I think when you do like what you're doing now and we talk about it, it's you kind of take away its power. And I yeah. think it also shines a light on what you need to work on. Like everybody's looking for a sign or wants life to be easier or creativity to be easier. The sign doesn't feel good. I don't think these signs, those are the signs, you know, this inner critic, the things it's scared of, the things it's telling you you're not good at. As soon as you go towards them, instead of like a lot of us just hide them, right. hope these things develop over time, but they, they don't seem to until you confront it or accept it, which I, I think a lot of successful creatives that I met seem to do. Can we talk about your book? Um, yeah. which I guess, uh, you know, a self-help guide for copywriters and yeah. paraphrase of, uh, or, or subtitle of a resource for writing headlines and building creative confidence. And I heard you recently describe the book as the dumbest book on copywriting ever written. And <laughs> I think you may, maybe you're saying you find it all too obvious, but I'm sure the feedback has been quite staggering. H how do you handle the compliments? I mean, it's been strange, you know, I think it obviously came from a place of, you know, if I didn't have self-doubt, I wouldn't have wrote the thing. Yeah. And so it was weird at first, the compliments that come in, you think, oh, well, that's just because they know me. And then the next round is like, well, that's just because they're connected to me on LinkedIn and they just like me and they're supportive of me. Uh, but then there's the next wave of people. I don't know. I start to hear from the heads of global networks. Uh, well, you know, it was like daily. It's not, it's weekly. It's constant. And uh, yeah, it's a weird thing to accept, but I really, it does transition into feeling like quite proud of myself, mm. but it's, it's helped me so much. You know, I, when you create something like that, it was really, I just knew this, I don't know what anyone else needs help with. I just knew what I needed help with. And so I just wrote it kind of to myself. And as it turns out, we all have a lot in common because it's resonating with people at all levels and yeah, to really answer that question, it's overwhelming and I, and I don't really have words for it. I've, I've been like, uh, honestly brought to tears like so many times, just people reaching out to right. thank me for how it's helped them. And I feel like I know how it's helped them because it's what I always needed. And it just makes me feel so, so good. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because your, your point, which is building creative confidence, how how important, and we on The Imposterous will talk about this being a confidence game. Mm -hmm. How important is confidence really to creativity? Well, I think before confidence, I think like the opposite of creative insecurity isn't confidence, it's acceptance. Like, you know, you just accept, as soon as you're able to accept what you don't know and kind of what you know, and there's no judgment, like you can, like even these podcasts, when it first, the request started coming in, I'm like, why me? You know, doubt, doubting right. myself. Yep. And, and then I just accept it. Like I've done something that's, and I am doing things that are resonating and helping. So who cares? I just accept who I am, what I know and what I don't. And uh, I'll hop on these things. But confidence is is also possible. But I think we're all chasing. Like, I just want to feel good. And like I'm. I can ace every brief. You know, I think we can be way more confident, but anyone who is the opposite of thinking they know nothing and knew everything is, uh, I'd be more worried, you know? 
if, if that was the case. Um, yeah, so I had this kid reach out. He was like 25 starting his yeah. career and he was panicked and he just wrote me uh, saying he was worried that, you know, he felt like he didn't know anything. And I said, well, there's a reason for that is because you don't know anything. You know, you're 25 and that's OK. Go learn some stuff. Ask questions. We had a guest on recently, um, Natalie Lamb, who's a chief creative officer, publicist, APAC. And, and um, she was talking about the permission to say, I don't know, the permission, you know, of, of it being totally OK to be in a conversation with a group of people or be in a situation, a working group. And, and you, the expectation really shouldn't be that you know everything and that it is quite OK to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You agree with that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think I hid it for so long, just assuming that uh, this confidence would develop over over time or I would pretend like I, I knew or just stay quiet and I'll just work it out as opposed to, you know, asking the dumbest questions. You see a lot of successful people will do that or aren't afraid to ask these dumb questions like just go in being selfish to, to like just learn. Uh, I think it is so important uh, to, you know, people are worried so much about what they don't know. <laughs> do you, all of us don't know. Yeah, I'm interested in that. Do you, do you paraphrase that then? Do you think in those situations, because, because this is a self-help um, session for me, <laughs> as much as anyone that's listening, do you think it's, do you say this might be a dumb question, but, or do you just think you ask the question, don't set it up as being a dumb question? Well, I think if you once you've accepted uh, or that you don't know something, then I don't think you would need to say that. And who cares? Because by saying that, you're worried about what other people think. And I think the higher up we are in the food chain to ask these questions, like gives other people the courage to do the same and less experienced people to ask. And often there's, you know, probably other people in the room who have the same question or are just too afraid to ask it. And what about finding your voice as a, as a writer? Because I, I guess a lot of the conversation you and I are having now is about confidence and the, yeah. the ability to find your, your voice in, in, in how you write. And it might be a different voice. Does that, is that something that plays out in the, you know, the whole game in general? Is this all about finding your voice? I think so. I mean, I would say I didn't really have it and I feel like I'm still just finding it as I'm starting to create for myself and of all the things I'm doing, this is something I encourage of the creatives that I speak to is to like, man, I love what we're doing. Like, where are you right now? <laughs> I'm in Vancouver, Canada. I feel like our business in a lot of ways has taken the tools out of our hands. We are, right. we focus on the ideas, but it's so easy to make things and I feel like that's how we find our voice. That's how we attract work that is more in line with our sensibilities and our voice. Back in the day, you look at, uh, I was just reading about, I can't remember, Harry Jacobs, I think. He was chief creative officer of the Martin Agency, like in the 70s. But he was in North Carolina and he wanted their agency. Uh, he didn't want to go to Manhattan. And, you know, just after Madison Avenue, that's where all the work was. He created a poster and an award show it was to hell with New York. And what that did, like one, it built his personal brand. This is like in the 70s, I think. But it also attracted clients. So by people who represent agencies, 
I think it is how we, I mean, that's a bold statement to make. Mm. Got lots of attention. It made these big brands that all felt like they had to work with agencies in Manhattan could find them in the Midwest of, of the U.S. Uh, I just can't encourage creatives because I also, I, man, there's just so much talent and we're all building other brands and that's what we do. And it gives us a place to be creative. But, you know, there's so much crap being created and we have just so much talent and, and then a lot of frustration. So to feel that creative freedom to find your voice, it's never been easier. Um, so, yeah, I want all creatives to create more. Yeah, it's interesting that your, your point about the, the, the tools, the tools being taken out of our hands. And I guess a number of years ago, we would have had conversations with writers and talked about, you know, that novel you hadn't written. Well, yeah. um, but, 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 but now, to your point, it is the tools that we have at our disposal to actually communicate, to actually, you know, explore our talents and, and share them um, and being able to do that because the job itself is about manipulating those tools, right? It was always yeah. about how do you mess with the media to actually make it your message? Mm -hmm. And I guess that, that's your point, right? It's about being able to share it, being able to get it out, being able to actually do, do your own thing to a degree. Well, it is how you can build an agency's brand. It's how mm -hmm. you could build your own little brand so other agencies see what you're about or potential clients. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's so awesome to do. And, and we just, I feel like maybe this is off, off, to off topic of, of imposter syndrome. But it, well, I, I mean, I can easily tie it back. Mm -hmm. Saying like, we... So some creators will have a style and brands. They'll just find that brand that suits their style. You know, it's like an athlete who has the right coach and the right line mates and just flourishes. But for those of us who maybe don't find that, even this ability to create can bring that and, and, and really bring the confidence that we're talking about. Um, so I want to ask you then, um, yeah. <laughs> this the imposterous and maybe because Graham's not here and I'll tend to take the emo role and walk on the dark side <laughs> and ask you if this as a as a writer and, I, and I've asked a couple of, of of our guests this before about um is this a lonely job yeah. and is 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 that is that something why it affects and makes people interesting um are, are we always thinking is 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 that what makes this job is it's so in your head that it can yeah. potentially be on your own. So there's a lot of thinking that goes in. So it becomes quite a, an emotive job as well, an emotional job. How do you feel oh, totally. about that? Well, I do think, I mean, studies have shown that creative people are generally more sensitive. Um, it was Seinfeld. I heard Jerry Seinfeld uh, say something like, when he heard that creative people uh, were more prone to depression, he said that made sense to him. And he was like, well, I wouldn't have all this if I didn't have that. Uh, so I accept it. Uh, but just knowing it was kind of part of the kit that comes with it. Um, but I also think, you know, we do our best work. For the most part, I think the best idea is the initial like person who cracks it can be traced to one brain, someone who is by themselves and connected some dots that maybe came from conversations. But for me anyway, it was often on my own in that lonely, <laughs> uh, whatever, the, the blank page or just putting in time. Is that true for you? 
think like yeah i yeah i think it's um i know i've talked about it on here before that i that i i want a name for that time you know where you have an idea until you share it like that kind of moment where 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 something dawns on you until you actually share it with someone because that is the time that you actually walk around with it if you like or live with it by yourself that same jerry seinfeld interview he said he waits a day before he shares an idea because somebody might shit on it or (laughs) maybe it's yeah but he's like it's perfect for a while and you know you have that high when you have that idea and he says he always just enjoys it and keeps it to himself and there's a risk in sharing it too early too because if it's like half baked you can shoot it down and there it goes um but yeah i guess you've got alan right to kick it around i've got alan yeah he's pretty useless now it's, it's amazing how when, when he does start uh, abusing me and I just say, you know, hi, Alan, he kind of goes away. Uh, I started timing my creative sessions. And so I just set a timer and work. Uh, and then the Alan would kick in. This is before I named him. And, uh, you know, they would start going like, you know, I would be dumpster diving within two minutes, according to Alan, you know, this, my career was over. I'd look at the clock and it was literally like two minutes had gone by. And I thought, well, I'm not going to come up with an idea that fast. And I just started to see how full of shit this uh, crazy voice was. Just this uh, scared little boy um, that just didn't want anything to change. And I think for our like, you know, human brains, creativity is scary because most of our time is spent with the problem unresolved in this not there yet kind of space. Most of our time is there. And I, for our brains, it's really hard. It's like a threat. That's why we work so much because it's not there and our brain's telling us this, we're not safe. And then Alan, whatever, your Alan starts telling you that uh, this is it, you know, your career is going to end. Which really, anyone who studied creativity or broke it down, you know, you have to walk away is usually when that's why it comes in the shower or when you're walking. As soon as you stop focusing on the problem is usually when it comes. That's why we have to walk away, even though it feels counterintuitive. So you're you're walking away and you're sharing while walking away via your newsletters, books, online training. What have, what have you got out of that? What, what how's that benefited you, do you think? And, and, and how, I guess, creative you are or how you write? Well. I think writing about it and breaking creativity down, it wasn't all like these things that I know. It was what I needed to know. And so it's really been working on my craft. I wasn't an expert and said, you know, I'm going to write a book because <laughs> I know a lot. Uh, it was came from a place of what I wanted to know and insecurity. So I really have. I'm, I've never been a better writer than I am today uh, from doing this. So I get that. I think I am finding my voice. I'm finding my confidence as a, a person. I'm I'm just kind of buzzing these days. Like every idea I have, I'm just like, well, let's make it. Why don't I make it? I had an idea. I was like, oh, creative directors aren't always given. Uh, they're good creatives. They're not always the best um, manager of people. But there is, there's no creative director school. There's no uh, whatever creative director hotline we could just call. So I just had an idea to interview creative directors. And so I'm just doing it through writing and I'll just send questions and I have creative directors from all over the world taking part. I'm just like, 
I have an idea. I'm doing it now is the difference. Like momentum is building. And I knew that book was that for, for me. So, so much has changed in my life. Uh, I think I'm just really getting started. And, and I think that's why I'm so passionate about pushing other creatives to create for themselves. Yeah, there's something very strong in in the idea that you know it's not it's not seeing is believing it's the making that is believing that when you actually make something yeah. and see it that you can then move on from it onto something else or something better whatever that actually yeah. is. I think uh, for too long in advertising as a creative, this this is like going to sound. I wouldn't have liked hearing this years ago, but I think we overvalue creativity and ideas. And it can be a downfall. Like the joy comes in the doing, in the making, not the overanalyzing. Like that's painful. We have to make stuff. And this is like for ourselves, but also in ad agencies, the idea is like king in most ad agencies I've worked in. And I believe that. But as soon as you step outside, you know, what is the quote, the Einstein one? It's a 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. Like once you start making things, you realize that like until an idea is made, it's like the iPhone would have been like, that's a great idea. But if it was never made, it's just like a ridiculous fantasy. Obviously, I value ideas and I think I just think I overvalued them and it prevents. And then because I didn't have the tools to make stuff, nothing got made for me personally. And, and this is where my head is at now. So I, this is why I'm going there with a lot of our conversation uh, and based on conversations I had earlier um, this week so yeah. maybe making is the thing that that dismisses kills imposter syndrome or insecure thoughts or whatever self-deprecating feelings whatever whatever that is the proof I, having I, the evidence is the thing that dismisses all that i think you're i think you're right because i think it's also like if you're sharing online or whatever and nobody likes something you realize oh you're okay you know like it wasn't that bad if that's the worst case scenario and you also realize I did it. Nobody liked it, but I know what to do next time. I've just got better. Like that's how you become more confident. I'm sure with this podcast from the beginning until now, like you're just getting better and better and more comfortable ideas are coming to you because you picked a path. Yeah. I yeah. think you're right. It's all in the, in the making, like it comes in the making. Can I ask you um, to wrap this up? Cause this has been fantastic to talk to you today your book a self-help guide for copywriters which we mentioned um and you talk about structure yeah, do yeah. you think it's the like the structure and the 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 feeling of rules um the this is how it works is that is that something that makes us feel more legit more legitimate in this job and do you think to load this question up another thing i have a tendency of doing i've been told <laughs> do you think that's what the next generation of creatives will come for do you think you know because I, I would say that you'd say, oh, creativity, it's, you know, it's this thing, you can't see it, just let me go and, you know, have an idea as opposed to, no, I need to know, I need to know more about how to have this idea. Is that a change yeah. that you think a generation will look for? I hope so. Um, I think there's a difference between formulas and structure. Right. I think we need structure and systems. It's going to help us so much. I think, you know, we have, if you don't know how you do what you do, and it's like, oh, I don't know, we just have to show up with the blank page and hope the idea comes. It's not healthy and it's not sustainable, especially where like culture and technology is going. More platforms, more content, faster than ever before. 
we need more systems and structure to create. And there are, there's all kinds of data uh, that has broken down. What was all the award-winning campaigns in Cannes years ago? I don't know if it was a Harvard study. It said there's six kinds of ideas or something. And then they had all these subsections. So that's one way. But I was thinking like, you know, you put in your 10,000 hours and you're an expert. But if you still feel like a fraud, what does it matter? <laughs> you know, yeah. if, uh, you don't, there's no like a confidence fairy that comes when you hit your 10,000 hours and says, here's your, you know, here's your badge and your little hat and your certificate that you're confident now. I think we have to know that's structures, the mirror, timing yourself, things like that, knowing where is your creative rhythm. So many creatives, because we like, there's creative energy and rhythms throughout the week. That's why it's important to take weekends off. Because usually Monday mornings, you don't want to plan any meetings if you're coming up with ideas. Tuesday by Wednesday, it fades. You do, um, you know, finances on Friday or whatever. It does right. fade. We, we don't know enough. This is the other part of it about the one tool we have, which is our brain and what it needs to be more efficient. Like we're, we're great at, we know ideas, but from a like neuroscience perspective and what the brain's capable of, and how to treat it to get better ideas faster. I, there's a, a lot of stuff there that we could be leveraging. And I think we have to, because, you know, look, at, there's, there's a lot, the younger generation that know how to use the tools, they can create content at scale, but it's not very good, like in terms of creative, like our standard, we can produce a high standard, but it's expensive and slow compared to these, you know, yes. the content creators. I feel like systems and structure will not only give us confidence so we know how we do what we do, but it will help us get to better ideas faster because we have a foundation. And it's not a formula, like it's not a calculator for creativity, but it's using technology. And I don't know what that exactly this means. I have some ideas that I've been playing with. My book is scratching the surface. I had a, someone, he's a, an ECD in New York. Well, it was Tom Chrisman who has a podcast as well. And he said he wrote 500 headlines in two hours or something using my, like, whatever, call it a system or structure uh, yes. from my book. Uh, oh, I still couldn't do that. Uh, but yeah, it, like, it works just going, and here's how I do it. And it uh, turns out it's, it's relatable and helpful. So I just want to lean into that. That's a long answer, but no, it's great. I mean, I've had a lot of people, and and you've been recommended as as I mentioned to you to come on this podcast since we started. Um, and yeah. as someone who you know who subscribes to your newsletters, it's it's great to have been able to talk to you wow. today. Really appreciate your time, Dan. Wow, you know, that blows me away. Like I don't know, you know, who subscribes to the newsletter, who um, knows me. It's all happened. You know, just in my in my son's room for the most part, I sit in there <laughs> and then I do my work. But, you know, it was about a month before you contacted me. Someone said, I think you'd love this podcast. And I had downloaded, I don't know, four of your episodes. And then you messaged well, three or four weeks later. And then I started listening to it. I, I, I really love it. I, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, it's not only you know, relevant content for me and helpful. It's just good. Like you guys are so good and I think it's so important. And uh, yeah, I, I was so like just honored to be asked to be on. So oh, thanks, yeah, man. Thank you very Alan much. Yeah. Alan on. 
<laughs> That'll be quite interesting. You know, we can keep cameras off for that if Alan's more yeah, comfortable. Yeah. He would start it with, hello, idiots, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Thank you, Dan Nelkin, for joining us on The Impostorist today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's fantastic. Posterous is produced by Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, the best music and sound house in Australia. If you would like to catch up on the other episodes in this series or previous, visit theimposterous.com. For all other updates or to make contact, follow us on Instagram at the underscore imposterous.